Um, we've, we're looking at uh, the tribulation period from um, the side of how the Antichrist is at work, how Satan is at work, uh, and explaining what is going to be happening from a spiritual side. And uh, we looked at how this beast of the sea is rising up. And we talked about the Antichrist and we looked about who he is and where he comes from. Uh, we looked at what he's going to be like. Um, we looked at his power um, and we looked at why he is coming uh, to be worshipped. Uh, and so those were our verses in verse 1 through 7. Now, there are two major ways that people interpret the book of Revelation, right? And we always have to be reminded of that. One, where the book of Revelation is a, a revelation of things to come, right? That this seven-year period is a literal seven-year period where the Lord works in the lives of the Jewish people, especially uh, to accomplish Romans 10 and 11, all right? That Israel's rejection was not final, that they are going to be brought back in. Uh, the second one is that the book of Revelation is already have happened, right? And so this is written to churches, right? The abomination of desolation was what happened to Rome, and that Christ is reigning now, that Satan is already bound, and so it's not to the Jewish people, it is to the church of that day and to apply. I hold to the first position, okay? But there are many who hold to the other one, all right? And so we're studying it from that point of view that this seven-year period is God working in the Jewish people, all right? And so when we come to verse 8, all right, we've been looking at what the Antichrist is doing, how he is at work, and we see this warning but also this encouragement to those who are alive. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life, of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And so what we see here is how can anybody who has been living through this, understanding what's going on, have any hope at all? Right? When when majority of the world's population has been killed by disease and famine, war, all of this stuff, the, the opening of the pit where millions of demons have been released upon the earth. And it says that all will worship Him. Alright, there's no doubt about that. The Bible tells us that it is going to be a time of abandoning any true love for God and a worship of the beast. And so that's why people say, well, I'll just wait till the rapture happens and then I'll get saved. No. It's not going to be that you're going to wake up one day and be like, oh, I'm just so glad all of my loved ones who are saved are gone. I think I want to choose the Lord now. No, I believe there will be a great hardening of the hearts because loved ones will be gone. Children will be gone. They will be taken up with the Lord. And so there will be this hardening of the heart. But it goes on to say, though, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This is probably, in the book of Revelation, one of the most difficult verses 
Because depending on which translation of the Bible you have, it will read differently. And so, in order to understand that, we have to go just for a moment about translations of the Bible. There are many different ones. There are over 900 since the Bible was originally translated, all right, over 500 years ago. 900 different versions, okay? And so how do we know which ones to read, which ones to apply? Now, there are some, like the message, that paraphrase, all right? It doesn't matter what the original language and the original text said. It's a general reading of a passage of Scripture, and this is generally what it means, all right? There are other translations, for instance, and I have a list of them tonight, and you're welcome to, uh, to write these down and to do some research on them, all right? And so you have different translations used by different people. So the Christian Standard Bible is a new translation um, that seeks to be very committed to the original language, but also to make it very readable. All right, the Christian Standard Bible. And if you know anything about the Christian Standard Bible, it is pushed in the Lifeway literature. It is a part of Lifeway. The second version that is very popular is the English Standard Version. Uh, and it is a literal translation that tries to uh, be faithful to the original, but also to the personal style of each Bible writer. It has been called sometimes the updated version of the King James Version. Um, you also know the version that I teach out of is the New King James Version. Uh, we know that the original authorized version of the King James was 1611, all right? Um, and then the fourth that I would say is the New American Standard Bible, which when it was originally created, it was trying to be as, as faithful to the original as possible, even if it didn't make sense when you read it. So there would be verses that would be very difficult to read because it was all about word for word, all right? No uh, uh, worried about some of the different things. I like all four of those translations, all right? All four of them. But if you are to read verse 8 in each one of those translations, it is going to read differently. Now, the NASB is going... Does anybody have a New American Standard Bible? Would you, who's got it? I do. Okay. I gotta find the version. Does someone have it pulled up that already has the NASB? I have it. Okay. All who on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written since the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slaughtered. So that says it's the book of life from the foundation. All right, now let's look at the New King James Version says. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Now when you read those, those are saying two different things. There are two verses in the book of Revelation that say almost the same thing. In Revelation 17, you can flip over there later or now, verse 8 are two very similar verses. And depending on which translation you like will be how they are translated. So in the New King James Version, which I believe 
uh, on this verse is most closely to the interlinear Bible of 2011. All right? It would read like the New King James says. But when you flip over to the book of Revelation, chapter 17, verse 8, I believe it is translated more accurately like it says. And so in verse 8 it says, The beast that you saw was and is not and will extend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. And so I believe the New King James Version gets it right in Revelation 17 and is a better reading in Revelation 13. If you want to read the interlinear Bible, which is uh, where you have the Greek or Hebrew, and then you have it, the English beside of it, it would read this. And will worship it all dwelling on the earth of whom not have been written the names of them in the book of life of the Lamb having been slain from the foundation of the world. And so here in this passage of Scripture, there are two ways to look at this. All right? And depending on your views will be what it says. And so the first possible order is that which the NASB says, that the names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. We see that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So God picked this person and that person and said they're going to be saved, they're going to be saved, their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Or the other view on this verse is, and you say, well, which do you find more of? It doesn't matter how many Bible scholars you find, you are going to find multiple ones who disagree. Or is it a better understanding of what 1 Peter chapter 1 said? That the lamb was slaughtered before the foundation of the world. And we know that Jesus died on Calvary so that the plan of God has always been in place. And so if you read 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, for your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed, talking about Jesus, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believed in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And so either view that you hold to about this verse, the principle is the same. That he's trying to remind them that if you belong to the Lord, you're his. And if you don't belong to him, there is no hope. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other way to endure the tribulation period. There is no other way to overcome. It is all about belonging to him. And it's interesting because it goes on in verse 9 and says what? 
If anyone has ears to hear, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. And then he goes on, and, and verse 10 is just an explanation that, like Jesus said, those who live by the sword die by the sword. And the Gentile nations of the world have wanted to conquer by war, by military might, and that is exactly what's going to happen. They are going at the end of time in Revelation 19, if you flip over there, those who have built their kingdom by the power of the sword, by the power of military might. You say, well, Jake, how do we know that? Well, we've been looking at the Antichrist, right? That he is this revived Roman Empire. That he's described with the body parts of a leopard and a bear and a lion, which represent these great world empires. But if you read in Revelation chapter 19, they are going to be destroyed by what? Now, the Lord is coming... And in chapters 19, verse 11, and he is coming in verse 15, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. The nations of the world who have prided themselves on military might and military conquest and military destruction, the Lord says they're going to get theirs they are going to end up receiving what they have been giving. But don't miss that, the very last part of that. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. That's why we endure, because we know that God is faithful, that God is going to fulfill His promises. And so it's a very good encouragement to end up this chapter when it seems like the Antichrist is at work. All of the world is following him. All of the world is worshiping him. That those who know the Lord Jesus Christ belong to him, are his, and he is not going to let them go. So questions, thoughts? The two verses of Ephesians and 1 Peter, mm -hmm. they're really they're dancing around the same topic, but they're really talking about two separate things that God knew that man was going to fall, mm -hmm. and he had to have a plan mm -hmm. for Christ. Mm -hmm. But also, in Ephesians, that that plan also, you know, if you look at like Romans 8, uh, 29, and mm -hmm. going on, that those he knew, he predestined. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I, I can't give you the whole order of it. Yeah, those he foreknow, those he predestined to be conformed right. to the image of his of, son. Of his son, mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. So, the, so this is a huge debate that we're not going to wade into tonight, all right? Over how is God sovereign? You cannot doubt that God is sovereign. He is in control. He is all power. But yet, how does he exercise his sovereignty in regard to mankind, right? Some people would say man is a free agent. They can choose to love God or not. Others would say man is so sinful and wicked and corrupt that they cannot choose God unless God first starts something in them. And so I actually have every verse in the New Testament that is used to fight about that, all right? Uh, John 6, uh, 37, 44, Romans 8, Romans 9. And when we get to Revelation 17, we might, we might, when we have to look at that verse, walk through all of that. I haven't decided yet. I'm still praying about it, all right? Because that is a debate that is bigger than me and you, all right?
not trying to tilt. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, but I'm just saying that there's two different things that God had planned before the foundation of the mm -hmm. earth. The new man was going to fall. Absolutely. Came. Yeah, but I also think there that verse, too, that we, we always have to be very careful not to stop reading a verse, right? Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, right? And so how is he going to make us perfect and holy in love, right? A relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the plan of God, the purposes of God, uh, have been before the foundation of the world. He didn't wake up when Adam and Eve of sin in the garden, like, oh, now what? But I think one of the best ways that you can try to wrap your head around how God works with man comes from the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 18, the Bible talks about the potter and the clay. And you'll see references to the potter and the clay in Romans chapter 9. But listen to what Jeremiah talks to the nation of Israel. Jeremiah chapter 18. Because we know that Israel is God's chosen people. But yet not everyone in Israel in the Old Testament was saved, right? Only those who had faith in the coming Messiah. All right? And so in Jeremiah chapter 18, the word which came to Jerusalem from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. So he says, I'm going to cause you to hear what I want you to tell the children of Israel. And there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, right, the chosen people of God, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look as the clay is in the potter's hand. So are you who are in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck up, to pull down, and destroy it. So he says, what does he say? When I speak concerning... So when God makes a declaration about something, a nation, that I'm going to destroy them, that I'm going to restore them, that I'm going to correct them, we see this in the story of Nineveh in Jonah, right? God makes a statement. A prophet declares the word of the Lord. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. Now, therefore, speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and a devising a plan against you. Return now everyone from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. And so God has a purpose and a plan. God has things that he's going to accomplish, how he's going to accomplish, but yet he then says, right, 
if you will turn. If you have been promised the blessings, but then don't. And so when we look at the nation of Israel, I want us to think about that, not individually tonight. Because like that is a debate and a discussion that would take us, well, forever. But how God deals with a nation, how God deals with this nation, how God will deal with the nation of Israel, that God gives promises, right? Those who bless Israel shall be blessed, right? But even though God has a purpose and a plan for Israel, and we are seeing it unfold in the Middle East, I believe, we have to see here that God, however he chooses to exercise that sovereignty in regards to a nation, clearly says here, hey, if, if, if. And so that is what we always have to come back to is that God is sovereign. God has a plan and a purpose to accomplish and what he wants to accomplish and how he's going to accomplish it. But on the flip side of that, we cannot just negate all of these verses that talk about a nation and their response to what God says and how God calls it out. And so I really want us to think about that because when we're talking about what is going on in this chapter of the 13th chapter is God working with the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. And so how can they have a relationship with the Lord even though they've denied Him and ran from Him and betrayed Him? It is when they will repent, right? Like Romans 11 says, and return to Him. That God will forgive them, God will work in them, and God will use them in a mighty way. And so I just really want us to think about that from this national standpoint of what God is doing because He's saying here in Revelation, right? In Revelation 13, he started there by saying in verse 8, if you want to read it one more time with me, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. And so we've been talking about all of these nations, all of these people, all of these kingdoms. If you remember uh, looking in verse 2 and verse 3, uh, the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his authority. And we're going to look here in verses 11 through 18 about how the nations and people of the world are once again believing this lie. So right here in the middle of this chapter about false worship, false praise, uh, worshiping the Antichrist, worshiping the dragon, we have these beautiful three verses that remind us that if you belong to him, if you belong to him, you're his. But there is no other way to be right with God outside of a relationship with Christ. So are you inferring that the names written in the book of life are nations? No, no. I think the issue here is when we look at this, there are three main views about the book of life. All right. One, you have the view that there is the book of life that was written before the foundation of the world. Because God saw that you were going to be saved, and so he wrote your name in there. All right? Second of all, there are others who say, no, God didn't just see it. God chose to write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. There are some who hold to the view. I'm not saying which one I agree with you. I'm just saying these are like four main. That when all people's names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and those who don't believe are blotted out 
That's why the Lord said, for those who believe, I will not blot out. Some people even hold to the view that there is more than one book. There's the Lamb of the book of the Lamb, the book of life. And so you just have to really be careful who you listen to, who you study, because there are some really, really confusing things out there, okay? So really be careful. So other thoughts, questions? All right. So we're looking at the false prophet here in verse 11. All right. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns, like a lamb, and spoke like a dragon. So who is this individual? Well, three times in the book of Revelation, we are told who this is. In Revelation 16, verse 13, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstones. All right? There's the false prophet, right? And the beast, the Antichrist and the false prophet. And where were they thrown? <coughs> the lake of fire, all right? Verse 10 of chapter 20. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tortured day and night forever and ever. Now, this is why I think that this is a future event that works like it says. Because when we know in the Bible that the lake of fire is going to be the place of the damned. Those who reject Christ, uh, this will be their eternal home. All right. It tells us that the devil is going to be thrown in there at some point. It tells us that the beast and the false prophet are going to be thrown in there. The issue comes to people say, are the beast and the false prophet individual people or are they evil systems? Right. So some would say, like we looked last week, that it might be the Roman Catholic Church, it might be Islam, it might be a certain world system, right? That's what, there are different thoughts. But I don't see why you would have an individual like the devil being thrown into a place and then evil world systems being thrown into eternal punishment, right? I think it is going to be individuals, right? Fallen angels and people who reject Christ in eternity away from God. And so that's why I think that the beast is the Antichrist that we looked at in the first ten verses and that the beast that is coming up out of the earth is the false prophet that we're going to be looking at how he works to help the Antichrist and the dragon. So questions? So what is he going to do when he gets here? Verses 12 through 15. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and all who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. 
He performed great signs so that even he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by the signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now when you turn this over, it's very important. Because what we see are miracles that many times are attributed to God. And so the Antichrist has the power and the false prophet is doing these counterfeit miracles to convince, especially those who are familiar with all that is going on, that this should be the person they are following. If you flip over to the book of 2 Kings, and I just have it there in your Bible, in your notes, because I didn't want to put a whole chapter, but I hope you brought your Bible so that you could flip over there with me. In 2 Kings chapter 1, you say, well, what about the other instances of fire being called down from heaven? There are, but this is probably my favorite. If you remember... Um, in this passage of Scripture, uh, in chapter 1 of 2 Kings, God has judged uh, Ahazai, um, and he sends some messengers, um, some soldiers, to Elijah. And um, let's see here, let's go down. All right, in verse 4. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed, in verse 4. And when the messengers returned, he said to them, Why have you came back? So they said to him, A man came up to meet us and said to us, Go return to the king who sent you and say to you. And so he goes back and he tells this message to the king. And if you read in verse 7, he says, Well, what kind of man was it? And they said, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. He says, I know who that troublemaker is. And so in verse 9, we're going to just very quickly jump through this. The king sent to him a captive of 50 with his 50 men. So they went up to him, and there he was, sitting on the top of a hill, and he spoke to him, man of God, the king has said, come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Then he sent to him another captain of 50 with the 50 men. You say, Jake, this is an awful morbid story for it to be your favorite. Well, just wait. And he answered and he said to him, Man of God, thus the king said, Come down quickly. So Elijah answered and said to them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again, so this is the king. Keep sending men, right? He sent a third captive of fifty. This is why I like the story so much. All right, so not the, not the other parts. With his fifty men and the third captain of fifty 
went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, Man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours. Don't miss that. He didn't say of the kings. He said of yours. That's important. Be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of fifties with their fifties. But let now my life be precious in your sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. And so these other two men came on the authority of this wicked king and said, you're going with us. And they died. This man recognizing that he was nothing against the power and authority of God said, have mercy. And that's what he received. But yet when we look here in this miracle that the false prophet is going to be doing, what was it? In verse 13. He performs great signs so that he even makes yes, fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Now, this third captain knew what happened to the first two. All right, It wasn't like he just showed up and said, well, nothing's happened. No. Rumor had spread that there were some dead bodies that were smoking. All right? And so it's very important to watch that Satan is always trying to what? Imitate God. To trick, to manipulate, to lead people astray. The second miracle that we see from this passage of Scripture, um, in the 14th verse, if you go down there, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Well, if you remember in Luke chapter 22, Jesus healed a man who had a head wound from a sword. In Luke 22, then when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Third one. When we see the worship of the image, if you read on in that same passage of Scripture, it talks about to make an image of the beast. And if you don't miss this in verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast, not the beast, but the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now this is not an object that is alive, it is an image of it. But yet somehow the image of the beast has the power and ability to look alive. Now, it's creepy in the world that we live in because Donnie and Sandy were just showing me an AI video of Ron DeSantis resigning from the presidential campaign that was all AI generated. It looked just like him. It sounded just like him. Could it be something like that? Maybe. 
But I believe it is deeper than that. Because if you look here in the notes that I gave you, any time that God wants to put himself on display in the book of Luke, in the book of Isaiah, in Luke 19 verse 40 it said, but he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the what? The stones would immediately cry out. An object that shouldn't cry out, an object that shouldn't worship God, he says if they don't, even the rocks will cry out. If you read in the Old Testament, there's a man on an animal and he's wanting to go somewhere. And it wouldn't go, would it? Because there was a what? Angel with a flaming sword, right? Out of the mouth of a donkey, right? Or whatever the King James says, right? But look at verse Isaiah 55, verse 12. Again, for you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Now, they're not clapping their hands. It's the imagery of what? Something miraculous, something declaring glory to God that is not naturally possible. And the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to make this image which shouldn't be able to command, shouldn't be able to declare, shouldn't be able to give instructions to do that. And look what he does there in the end of verse 15. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Very similar to what we see in the story of Daniel. right? Those who would not bow down and worship the image, they were. Okay, yeah, I guess you've ever read that story. So... Yeah, so we see the same principle. If Satan cannot get the worship, death is the alternative. But yet he works trying to convince as an imitation to what Christ does. That is why the New Testament warns us about those who preach another gospel. We're warned that Satan appears as an angel of light and that we should not be surprised that his followers appear that way. So many times we think that Satan wants to work, and listen, I'm going to say this and it's going to get me in trouble and I don't care. Okay. I see nothing wrong with a four-year-old girl dressing up as a princess getting candy, all right? But I think all of the dark, evil, skeletons, witches, all of that stuff around Halloween, Christians should not be a part of it. I don't believe you should stop by houses that are decorated and celebrated. I don't think Christians should do that, all right? If you don't like it, I don't care. That's what I believe, right? Shouldn't celebrate what's in the dark, all right? That's where we think Satan works most of the time, and he does, right? There are people who are in spiritual bondage. I believe there are people who are struggling with demon possession, with demonic influences. I believe all of that. But Satan, to quote Adrian Rogers, would just as much like to send you to hell from a church pew as he would a bar stool. Getting you convinced that you are sitting in a church 
right with God and not be. That should be our greatest concern. And as a pastor, that's what we preach continually. Being a church member doesn't get you to heaven. Being baptized doesn't get you to heaven. Taking the Lord's Supper doesn't get you to heaven. All of these things, all right? Why? Because churches are full of people who have done something at some point and they think that's enough to substitute a personal daily relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not. Thoughts, questions on the text. And don't argue with Halloween. That was just my assessment. You can take it up with me later. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Same day. Yeah. Beginning of the Protestant church. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. That got me in some trouble. Anyway. I just figured I'd help you and throw another snowball. Antichrist is military, basically. Well, it an economic power. A political, political leader. leader, yes, it could be. Yeah. This the beast here we're talking about, the prophet. Mm-hmm. Is, I'll put it this way. Is, would he be like very loosely? Worship leader, he is so causing people to to worship the Antichrist, yeah. Yes. So a religious. So for instance, like I said. Why not just get everybody mad at me at one time? That is why for so long it was always thought that either Islam or the Roman Catholic Church fit this bill. Right? Because it talks about Rome, it talks about the seven hills, it talks about all of that, okay? And it's the two religions that are in every country at this point, right? And so that was why that was always tied together. Can we say that for certainty? No, I, I'm not going to say that. But it has to be something along that lines of some kind of a religious worship of the first beast. So, which is controlled by Satan? Which is controlled by the dragon? Yeah, the unholy trinity, right? Dragon, antichrist, false prophet, father, son, Holy Spirit, right? An imitation, a knockoff of what God is doing. So, all right, third and final thing, and I'll be done, and you can stone me on the way out. All right? Still talking about the influence of this false prophet. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand, or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. I told you a couple weeks ago, if you remember, um, that uh, there are some faiths, um, for instance, the uh, seven-day Advent, who believe that worshiping on Sunday is to take the mark of the beast um, that is the Antichrist, that is the false prophet that Rome has told us to worship on. Now, I disagree with that, 
All right. I don't believe that worshiping on Sunday is partaking of the false system that denies Christ. Okay. I, I don't believe that. I believe that we should worship on Sunday. All right. I believe we should worship every day. Okay. But what, what does the word mark mean? All right. And I've got that for you. The New American Commentary states the word mark is a translation of the Greek word cherubim. It can mean sculpture, engraving, a stamp, or a sign. And it is only used one other time in the New Testament outside the book of Revelation. The Apostle Paul references it as a sculpture in Acts 17. Right? Where else does it say it in the Bible? Therefore, since we are an offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Okay? There, there are your two, your example. Now, it's very important because, depending on how you view the, Revela the book of Revelation, right, the mark can be anything that is anti-God, anti-Christ, right? It's the system that you are following. And so for those who would say, well, Christians are looking for a time when they're not going to be here, we're asleep at the wheel. When you can already take this mark of the beast by following anything that is anti-Christ, that is believing anything that is anti-Christ, that is standing in opposition of who Christ is, the spirit of the antichrists, okay? Or is it going to be a specific thing in this seven-year period that keeps you from buying and selling? Well, all we can do is look through the rest of Revelation and find out what it says. And so in Revelation 14, starting in verse 9 through 11, it says, Then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on their forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment extends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So it's mentioned twice here in this section. If you read in Revelation chapter 16, So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Okay? So not only is there a specific eternal punishment, but there is going to be an earthly judgment for those who worship the beast. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. In Revelation chapter 20, so chapter 19 is the judgment, right? The Lord uh, destroys his enemies, judges those. And then in chapter 20, if you want to flip there just 
um, for you to be able to look at it in its entirety. Revelation chapter 20, we're almost done, I'm sorry. Um, we see the um, thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. In verse 4 it says, I saw thrones and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Two quick things, and the rest of the speculation you can take to your heart's content. One, taking a mark does not condemn you to go to hell. The mark is an outward sign of what your heart believes. All right. If we really believe that the sin that condemns you to an eternity in hell is rejecting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, it can't be something that you put on you that makes you go to heaven, and it can't be something that you put on that makes you not go to heaven. By taking it, you are identifying as I have rejected Christ. All right, I am following the Antichrist's system. All right, I want to be fed, I want to be clothed, all of those things. Okay, now some people will say, "Well, what is it?" I don't know, and I'm not going to even act like I know. What I see here is a mark on the hand and the forehead. Could it be something under the skin? Possibly. Could it be something? I don't know. I'm, I can't even begin to speculate with you, but I want you to see the main point here is that it is an outward sign of what the heart believes. And that is very important. It's very important to be reminded, very important to be reminded of that always. But it's an issue of the heart. Because if you remember this, right, before in verse 4 of chapter 20, it said, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. Right? It was the worship. It was the worship first. And because I'm worshiping him, because I'm following him, I want this branding. Now I'm going to make another statement, and it's not going to be very popular. And that's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to say it anyway. So in the Old Testament, why is it that God did not want the children of Israel to cut and mark themselves. Absolutely. Most of those marks and cuts have religious nature of those their religious systems. Absolutely. So if you wanted to know who the Canaanites worship, just look. I've got the sun god, or I've got the God of fertility, and this cutting mark means this, and this means that. And so God said, when they look at you, and they ask who you worship, you can tell them, I worship the God that's not made by hands. Or I, I worship the God who hung the stars in the sky. I, I worship the God that told the sea it could go this far. All right? And you can't see. Huh? And you can't, and see. You can't see. All right? Now this is important. Because I get in a lot of trouble for this. All right? So backing Backing up to the original text, mm -hmm. if you look at different translations, absolutely, and in linear, that six 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 also is portrayed as six hundred sixty and mm -hmm. six. It's not all one number. It's mm -hmm. six hundred mm -hmm. sixty and 
six. Yeah. And I think there's an importance to that, but I can't explain why. Yeah. Well, that's the way, that's the way the Greek would read mm -hmm. is it has split up. Maybe they had core math back then. I don't know. <laughs> the big thing is, is the purpose is, you have to remember, right, there are like 8,000 different opinions of the six. It's the number of man, right? It's the number of not completion. It's not the seven that we would attribute to the things of God. And so I can't tell you what it's going to be. I can't tell you what it's going to be like. I can just tell you what it says here and what it's going to allow you to do or not to do, what it's going to keep you from doing and doing. But I really do believe it is an outward mark of saying, I worship him. Just like in the Old Testament, the Canaanites said, I worship him by him. All right? That's not a sermon on tattoos or whether or not you should have them. I'd be more than happy to talk about that anytime other than now. All right, But I think it's very fitting that that's what God told them here to be identified with who you are identified with. And then in the very end, when the Antichrist and the beast and the dragon want you to declare your loyalty, they want some kind of a mark to identify who you belong to. But yet we know that we identify with the Lord, right? So, questions, thoughts? I hand in the forehead is very, that's very specific. It is. But we also see, though, right, that in different parts of the book of Revelation that the children of God have a name on their head, too. And so identifying with Christ, right? So, yeah, absolutely. It very well could be uh, something in the hand, on the head. Um, when you look at different religions in the world, uh, you'll see a lot of them have head things. You'll see a lot of them have hand things, beads and, and different tattoos. and different. So could it be a chip? Could it be, I mean, it? how God is going to allow that to happen, I have no idea. But you're right, it is very specific why it mentions hand and head. Hand and head. So Jesus mentions that with the Pharisees. They had the phylactery that was on the head and the hand. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some Bible scholars even view it's a representation of the way you think and what you do. Right? You work with your hands and think with your mind and so it is a total abandonment of the things of God the influence of God and how you think and how you do and it would be visible and it would be yeah so like I said I think it's very it's very important to know what happens there because it says right that you know exactly what it says and so um, it's just very 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 important. So, other questions? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so some people have said that's even because that is the dominant hand for most people. Well, my wife, she's left-handed, so she says she's fine. But no, uh, that's a joke. But it is a serious deal because why? It is a total abandonment to the Antichrist. It, it is a total abandonment to who he is, to what he's doing, and, and, and what you've seen, that those who don't take the mark, remember what it said there, and don't worship the image of the beast, they will be killed. It's not a, I'm going to get it, I'm going to hide it. No, you're not going to be able to hide it. 
they're going to know whose team you are on. And so we know about the buying and the selling and all that. So it's just, like I said, be very leery um, when you hear things like the leader of the Russian Federation or whatever they call themselves now saying, I'm getting involved in Israel's doing because there needs to be a new world order. That's a scary thought, right? Um, when you look at that great empire from the north, right, who is now allied with this great empire from the east, when you see the reviving of the European Union, I mean, just be, you have to look at it and say, wow, there's just so much going on. And me personally, I do, I do believe like Dave does. I believe it's going to be a mark, uh, some kind of a chip, something physical um, for whatever purpose I don't quite know. Uh, it's going to have to happen. If the militants can shoot up their own hospital and blame it on Israel, they could do the same for the Dome of the Rock. So. And you know if it was anything like computer chip or something, they could scan from way over here. Well, you're seeing it. I mean, I mean, what was it in the 80s? They started putting chips in dogs in case you lost. Maybe it was in the early 90s. Right. If you lost your dog, they could chip it and find it. I mean, that's that is very, very plausible. I believe that we will not be here, yes. Yeah. Uh huh. If that does not happen, you want to still be prepared. Yeah. If you're here and that's going on, you want to identify it. Well, either you do it or you die. I mean, that's your choice. You know, the one thing is this mark has to be a voluntary thing. They can't tie you down and mark you. Well, it has to be a choice. You choose to worship the image of the beast. Just like Daniel made the choice, right? You have to eat the food. You have to. I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to not pray, right? So. Yeah, so I think definitely the enticing of watching your kids starve and watching your family fall apart, yeah, is a, is a strong influencer. But I, I still think that each person has to make a choice to either reject the Lord Jesus Christ or accept Him. And if you reject Him, then you worship the beast, then you'll take that mark. Um, so... those that are saved from the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. I believe the 144,000 are the only one that God protects all the way through the tribulation period. The 144,000 are, and the two witnesses were protected for a period of time, right? But yeah, I think for the rest of those that are being saved, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a believe in Christ and die, right? And sometimes I think we would say as believers, that would be the easiest thing, right? Get saved and go to heaven. 
it's the how you get to heaven part that's not going to be the pleasant, you know. So, if you got saved and just was raptured, that'd be cash money. But I don't want to be saved and then persecuted. That's, you know, never on anybody's radar. But yet it's a blessing to be persecuted for our faith. That gun game about being saved isn't our necessarily getting into heaven. It should be us glorifying God. Absolutely. And Absolutely. The whole mark of the beast, if your name's, your name's not the land of the way, then you're probably going to take the mark of the beast. It says you will take the mark of the beast. Any other thoughts? And guys, there is so much good out there to study about this. I mean, there is... Like people like David Jeremiah, Adrian Rogers, John MacArthur, they do a great job. And they will talk like a week for each verse, okay? We do not have that kind of time, all right? <laughs> we just can't go that slow. So 